Turn to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And my mind has been on King Saul for the last week. And I haven't really been able to get that off of my mind about what happened to him as we sort of brought the first half of the series on David to a close at the end of 1 Samuel. And I just can't get Saul off of my mind and what happened to Saul. So tragic how he died and he rebelled. And yet we know without a doubt that Saul is in heaven today. He's a blood-bought child of God who experienced eternal salvation irrespective of the mess that he made of his life. And I don't rejoice in the mess that he made. It's horrible. It's, it's one of the most tragic things that turns my stomach to read it and hurts my heart when I read what Saul did and how he turned so far against the Lord. But it warms my heart and it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling, a glorious, joyful feeling, knowing that regardless of what Saul did, he would still belong to the Lord. And so along that line, I want to read to you from 1 Timothy the fourth chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. And I just want to talk to you about saving yourself. Saving yourself. Let's read in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 4. Till I come, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, he's saying this to Timothy. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, in taking heed to yourself and continuing in the doctrine, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. As I said, I want to talk to you about saving yourself. The word save right there in the Greek is the word Sozo, and it occurs 110, at least 110 times in the New Testament. And with the backdrop of King Saul's tragic death because of the horrible decisions that, that he made in his life to go against the will of God, against the things of God, with that backdrop in mind, I want you to think about what it means to save yourself. Now, it's very obvious if you understand the context that the Apostle Paul cannot and is not talking to Timothy about becoming a child of God or becoming eternally saved. He's, he's talking to a preacher that's already interacting and preaching and pastoring. When Paul says, till I come, he is writing to Timothy. It is believed historically that Timothy was in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians from. So Timothy was already there, most likely pastoring that church in Ephesus, and Paul tells him, you need to save yourself. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking about that church, those people, that pastor, and things that he could do to spare and save the people that he was dealing with from certain things. Now listen, if you want to know something that sets apart what you believe as a primitive Baptist from the rest of the world... It's going to be what I'm teaching you here about what it means to save yourself. Because the religious world speaks of saving yourself in terms of sparing yourself from hell and being able to go to heaven, becoming a child of God. Most of the teachings in the New Testament about saving and salvation have to do with what I'm talking to you about, which is a timely 
present day, now deliverance that you need. And you don't just need it one time. You need it again and again and again. I think back, and I don't mean to embarrass her, but I think back to a conversation that Sister Julie and I had years ago about Matthew the 7th chapter. You know, the straight way, the narrow gate. She and I had a conversation about that years ago when they first came. To, she first came to see the truth. And, of course, in the religious world, that is taught as the way to get to heaven. The straight and the narrow way is the way to get to heaven. And, of course, the interesting thing about that is there's only going to be a few people in heaven if that's the case. <laughs> because it says, few there be that find it. <laughs> but if you take the context of Matthew the 7th chapter... He's talking about judgment, good judgment, proper judgment, pulling the beam out of your eye before you judge someone else, the speck in their eye. That's all in the context of judgment. Even the gate of the city that's spoken of there was a reference to the court in the old days where what took place? Judgment took place. And as Sister Julie and I talked about that, and again, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody by calling names, but as we discussed that and talked about it, one of the things that we came to agree on was that if, if I was accurate in the way that I was presenting that, that it's not eternal salvation, it's talking about good judgment, it's not a one-time deal where when you do that, you don't have to worry about the straight and narrow gate anymore. If I was right, if the Word of God was right about what the straight and narrow way is, which is good judgment, then all of a sudden it's right back up in your face and you need it every day. It's not a shelve it away because you did it one time and it's over with. You need proper judgment every day for when you get out of bed, when you go do the things that you do. You need to be saved in that way every day. And that's the context of Matthew 7. That's the context of 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. That's the context of the great majority of the occurrences of the word save or salvation in the New Testament. It has to do with what you do here and now. And if there's anybody under the sound of my voice or that listens to the podcast who says, oh, well, you know, oh, that's no big deal then. Uh, you know, because if I don't get it right here and now, you know, I've still got my eternal salvation. I'll just lose my timely salvation. Number one, that person has no idea about what I'm talking about. No idea about the character and heart of our Savior. No idea. And number two, I'm not the judge of that. But it makes me question, does this person even have an experience of grace if they think that way? Because if you have an experience of grace, you don't think that way. You see your need of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see your need for good judgment. You see your need to save yourself on a daily basis. You see examples like the King Saul who did not do that. And he made shipwreck of his life and had wound up most of his family being killed because of his foolish decisions. So as we consider this, remember that this is a template, if you will, for when you go read the New Testament, it's only 110 times that the word, the Greek word sozo, or saved, occurs. That's easy to look up. Take you two or three weeks to study out every single one of those occurrences. Real easy. So I don't know what to study in the Word of God. I've just given you something for the next three weeks. Real easy. Paul says, I want you to save yourself. This is a daily goal of mine as your pastor is to take heed unto myself and take heed unto the doctrine of God and to continue in those things in my efforts to continue taking heed to myself and taking heed to the doctrine, making sure I'm in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, preaching and teaching accurately the Word of God. My goal is to save myself in the sense and the context of this and to save you. I want you to be saved in the context of what this is talking about. I don't want you to make shipwreck of your life. 
the place that this all starts, the place that this delivering yourself here and now, this timely deliverance, the, the starting point for that, in a way, is Matthew 1 and 21, which is talking about eternal salvation, where the angel told Joseph that your, your wife, your Mary, is going to have a, she shall have a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You say, how can the eternal side of that be the starting point for the timely? You've got to get that in your head. Get in your head that your salvation, your eternal deliverance from the lake of fire, the payment of your sins was not upon you, it was upon Jesus Christ. And he did it. And that's a relief. When you talk about delivering yourself, you don't have to worry one moment about delivering yourself from hell or delivering yourself from being unsaved to saved in the sense of going to heaven. Christ has taken care of that. Brother Luke has talked to us about the mechanism that he took care of that. He chose a people before the foundation of the world. And the Son of God paid for their sins on the cross. And it says, as the angel said to Joseph, he shall save his people from their sins. That's the starting point right there. Relax. Relax. That's a lot of pressure to have on you if you think that you've got to do something to go to heaven. That is, that's pressure that I can't handle. And I don't know how others handle it. I just don't know. But it's not any kind of pressure that God has put on you. He put that pressure, and it was quite an amount of pressure. He put it on His Son. And His Son paid for that. So look at Matthew, the 14th chapter. This is probably one of the easiest to understand accounts of someone being saved, saving themselves, being saved in a timely sense. Probably one of the easiest, most clear-cut examples in the Word of God. In other words, if you can't get this, then you might not get anything else in the Word of God. God forbid. Matthew 14, and I want you to look at verse 24. This is when Jesus has sent the disciples on across the lake, on across the sea. He goes up into a mountain to pray. And as they're passing over, he said, you will, he said, I, you know, go to the other side. There's no possibility they're not going to make it to the other side. But while they're going on the way, a storm comes and it's bad. It's a really bad storm. And these are fishermen. Most of these guys on this boat are fishermen, so they know what to do. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, verse 24, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's very early in the morning, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, no doubt probably behind the, light, the flashes of lightning, they see this silhouette of an individual walking on the water, up and down on the waves. They were troubled, and they said, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake to them and said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. Notice the if there. You know, Peter gets a lot of praise for doing this, but he's really not doing any praise because this was somewhat of a faithless act that he was doing. And also, can you imagine how the other guys were thinking in the boat? Well, what are we? You know, we're going to drown. Peter gets to walk on the water. Well, wow, this did not endear Peter to them. Okay. And Peter had a habit of not endearing them, the friends to him. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, and, G and Jesus says, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. That's the word right there, save. It's the, the word sozo. He says, save me. Common sense. Just average, ordinary 
Bible reader, there is absolutely no way that you can conclude in that moment, in that situation, that Peter is asking to go to heaven. You know, the funny thing is, in his mind, he's about to go to heaven. <laughs> he wants to be saved from the fact that he's about to drown. He's about to leave this world, he thinks, but he's not. There's no way, there's no way, no mental gymnastics or theological seminary degree. There's, it's not possible to mess up what, what's going on here if you just take the basic context. He wants to be saved from the storm, saved from drowning. He's sinking in the water. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Do you see what's going on here? And don't overlook the words of Jesus. Peter wants to be saved from, in a timely sense, in a, in a timely deliverance. And notice how Jesus turns this back and makes it a matter of faith. Do you hear that? And remember, this has nothing to do with going to heaven. But it has everything to do with how we use our faith and how we don't doubt or we do doubt here in this life. Peter has just seen Jesus walking on the water. Peter has just been mesmerized in the midst of this storm that there is the, the master, there's Jesus on the water. And now he's sinking down and he's doubting again. You see the type of deliverance I'm talking about here? You see the type of saving that's going on here? Relying on our faith. Not doubting the Lord when He says, you know, you're mine. And no matter what touches you in this life, I'm going to be with you and you're always going to be mine. And here is Peter, one of the apostles, forgetting that. Don't we do that? How many times could the Lord have looked to us, to me in my life, and said, Oh, Tim of little faith, wherefore did you doubt I tell you, the Lord has said that to me so many times. I didn't have to hear an audible voice, but within my heart where I realized I was relying on natural things and relying on things that I thought rather than relying upon my faith. The Lord has delivered me. He will continue to deliver me. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience trouble. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience tragedy. But it means that when you come back to square one, the Lord has saved you. You're going to be with Him in heaven one day. Then you've got a different perspective on the storms of this world. Totally different perspective on sinking down in the water. And Peter forgot that. And the Lord said, Oh, thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? Where it says that Peter was afraid in verse 30 when he saw that the storm was so bad. I mean, it was already bad. Where it says that he was afraid, it means to be struck with fear. It means to be seized with alarm, to be startled by strange sights or occurrences, and to hesitate or to do something out of fear of harm. You see, he hesitated. He began to doubt the Lord. This is just one example of a way that we can save ourselves by relying on our faith, by not doubting, by making decisions in this life that are based on what the Word of God says and not on our feelings or what the natural things look like. You see, that's what it means to be saved, to continue in the doctrine, to take heed to yourself, to listen to the preaching that you hear, and to follow the examples that are set before you in the Word of God. And if the ministers of the Lord are following the Lord, it's okay to follow them. It's okay to follow their lead. Now, if they get off track, you don't want to follow that lead. 
But if they're following the Lord, Paul tells Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them and save yourself and save those that are hearing you. Nothing to do with your eternal salvation, but definitely tied in to how you use your faith. Listen, there's so many different examples that we could look at in the Word of God to see this. And just because you don't experience it, listen, if Peter had slipped on into the water and drowned, you understand that that would have made no difference on where he wound up when he passed and took the last breath and took, you know, left this world. It would have made no difference. He would have been in heaven with the Lord, but it wasn't time for that to happen to him, for him to take his last breath. But understand, when things happen to men like King Saul, who did such terrible things, when they take their last breath, you know, he killed himself. He committed suicide. And it's one of those spiritual urban legends that I call that have been out there for ages is that, you know, if you kill yourself by suicide, well, then you don't get to go to heaven. It's like a hell sentence because you committed suicide. And there could nothing be further from the truth in the word of God. King Saul committed suicide. And it made no difference on where he went to heaven or to hell. He went to heaven, but it was a disgrace in this life. You see, the way he lived his life and the choices that he made, he disgraced God. He didn't use his faith. Several years ago, we were in Washington, D.C., and I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, you don't always get deliverance in this life. You know, things aren't always equitably worked out. You know, justice is not always done in this life. But you don't have to worry about the fact that justice will ultimately be done because we have a just God sitting on the throne. But you may not see it in this lifetime. We were up in Washington, D.C., touring around some of the Smithsonian's. And my favorite Smithsonian used to be, you know, the Aeronautics Museum, you know, where you can see the planes and stuff. But, but then they built this Holocaust Museum, you know, as a testimony, you know, as a memorial to what happened in World War II when you know, the murder of six or seven million Jews took place by Hitler. So in that Holocaust Museum, there is my favorite part of the museum is an area called the Tower of Faces. And some of you that have been there may have seen this, but there's a, an, an open area that you can walk through on a walkway. And I don't know, it's like three levels high, three stories high. And, and there's pictures and, you know, originals in framed of, of all these different people you know, beautiful pictures. I mean, like most of them are professional pictures, like a photographer took those pictures. And, you know, when I first walked in there, I was like, what is this? This is amazing. Who are these people? And what it is are the pictures that were gathered from a small town over in what is modern day Lithuania, but a small town that's about twice the size of Gordo. It'd be about twice the size of Gordo, about 3,500. And it had that many Jewish residents back in 1941. And that's the same year that Nazi Germany's genocide of the Jews began. And 90% of that little town, 90% of the people in that town were murdered. They weren't you know, loaded up on trains and sent off to death camps because those weren't in practice yet. But what they did is they sent these murder squads around. And basically what they did is they, they lined them up and shot them one by one. As a matter of fact, the historical account of that little town where 90% of those Jewish people were murdered, says that they spent a few days digging the graves out there in the cemeteries, near the cemeteries. And when the time came, the Nazis just brought them out there, 250 or 300 at a time, as many as they could line up to shoot, shot them and they just fell off in those graves. And the pictures came 
They, obviously, they didn't burn the town, didn't burn the pictures, but the pictures, most of them came from a photography studio that was in that little town. And one of the few survivors, one of the few survivors, their grandparents were the photographers in that town. And I mean, the, the, the pictures are mesmerizing. I mean, the beautiful faces of people that were just snuffed out just like that. You know, what I'm trying to say is there are tragedies and things like that and things like what King Saul did and things like Lot in the Word of God, other men, Solomon. I mean, you could just go on and on naming the times in this life where deliverance does not necessarily occur. But it doesn't take away your eternal deliverance. There's no question that there were children of God in that little town of modern-day Lithuania that were, that were murdered out there on those hillsides and fell off in those graves unmarked forever until the resurrection. See, the Lord's got His people named, He's got them numbered, and they are accounted for, and they will be accounted for one day. There'll be a salvation one day, not just of your spirit, but of your body. And whether someone leaves this world and doesn't get a timely deliverance, like those firing squads that killed all those people, doesn't take away the fact that the Lord has the ultimate say over where you're going to be. So when you look in the Word of God and you see these different examples where it says, save, saved, salvation, you should always ask the question, you know, what, what is the context? What am I being saved from? What was Paul talking about to Timothy when he told him to save yourself? He was talking about following God's word and sparing yourself from the destruction that's out there in the world today. I don't know that there could be a more timely, impactive message for us because the culture has gone so crazy and gone so worldly. See? Are we going to spend all that time binge watching? Are we going to spend all that time doing things that don't amount to anything? Or can we take just a little bit of that time and give it to the Lord and learn about the things of God? I went through something very similar to what Brother Luke went through when he took that year and listened to those sermons and, and studied the Word of God. I was in Nashville, and I remember when the Lord got a hold of me and taught me and showed me that I was wasting so much time. And I had a desire, you know, I, I was sitting there thinking, if the Lord's calling me to preach, you know, it might be a good idea to read the Bible through. <laughs> I mean, how in the world can I look at a congregation and say, well, I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says. Well, Brother Preacher, have you, have you read the Word of God through? Well, no, not yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I mean, I was like, i got to read this thing if I'm going to stand up before God's people and tell them about it. And so that was one of the sweetest. And by the way, when I was 18 or so, I had done read the Bible through and I didn't get one thing out of it. But I was able to go around and say, hey, I read the Bible through. <laughs> well, what'd you read? I don't know, but I did it. <laughs> but when I was about 26 or 27, and I'd studied the Bible, and I'd read the Bible, but I sat down and I read the Bible through cover to cover. It took about three months. Every spare minute that I had, it was like I was just gobbling it up, and I couldn't get enough, and I just wanted to come back for more. You say, well, Brother Tim, I don't have that kind of hunger like you do. Let me tell you, that hunger comes from God. And if you'll beg Him and ask Him to give you that hunger, I guarantee you that He'll give it to you. But you got to get some of this fluff and this stuff out of the way first. <laughs> That's what I did. you got to get that stuff out of the way. Save yourself from those things. That's what Paul is talking about when he's talking to Timothy. Save yourself from those things. And the Lord doesn't demand all of your time, just some of your time. And it'd be a real good idea to give him the best of your time because that's whenever you'd be the most mentally sharp. James 5 and 13, I close out. Listen to this in James 5 and 13. Listen to the language about saved. 
He says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Same word, save. See the context? It's not talking about eternal salvation. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins." The context of that has nothing to do with going to heaven. It's the same context as Saul. And David tried to save Saul many times, didn't he? Why are you chasing me? Why are you trying to kill me? Saul said, I'm sorry, you're more righteous than me. I won't do it anymore. And he went right back to doing the same old thing again. Why? Because he was in rebellion against God. Let me ask you this question. Are you brave enough and willing enough And take enough time away from the things that distract you to sit down and take an inventory and say, are there things in my life right now that I need to be saved from? Is it entertainment? Is it TV? Is it pornography? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it fill in the blank? It could be anything. What afflicts you may not be what afflicts me. And what afflicts someone else may be something totally different. But will you take, will you be courageous and take that inventory and you say, my goodness, I have got the, these five things, God forbid, maybe it's only two or three, but I've got these multiple things that I need to be saved from. What am I going to do? I hope you call me. I hope you call me. Because that's what God says to Paul. That's what Paul says to Timothy. And that's what I say to you. That's what the ministry is there for is to help you be saved from the things that would take you away from serving the Lord. One of the most glaring ways that you can begin to save yourself in that sense is by making a confession of your love for the Lord and following the Lord in New Testament baptism. Peter wrote and said, baptism now saves us. That's a real easy way to start. If you hadn't done that, we give you that opportunity as we stand.